0: G'day guys and welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast. This week, huge guest, but firstly, I just wanna say a big, big thank you to all of you of late. It's been absolutely amazing and I'm incredibly overwhelmed at all the love and feedback that you guys have been sending through. This week, as I said, very excited for my guest. He's someone I've been a big fan of since I was back in high school. He's incredibly talented at creating characters and forming impressions. Donald Trump, Gary Vee, Bear Grylls, Mark Wahlberg, and Raphael Nadal, just to name a few. There's many more and some we touch on throughout the show. He's led the way for building a brand as a comedian on social media and doing an incredible job at that. I loved having him on the show for a number of reasons, but more than anything else, he's just a legend of a bloke. He's a very thoughtful person with an interesting perspective of the world of comedy in the 21st century. Also guys, don't forget if you're listening in or watching the show and you enjoy the episode, please don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast. Even better, leave a nice review. Love always. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some lighthearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Elliot, Loney, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, my friend. Uh, I have been looking forward to this one for a while. Mate, thanks for having me on, man. Likewise.
1: I've uh, been enjoying the podcast, mate, and I've got to say it's an honour to be here.
0: Oh, thank you very much. It means a lot. Now, mate, I'm a big fan of your work, and um, I suppose sometimes what I like to do is is set the the scene of how uh, I first became a fan, and it's a funny one because... Look, a lot of people are going to know this, but back in the day um, of school, and I think nearly 99.9% of people would have seen a lot of your content um, on Facebook, impersonations, um, comedic uh, genius, as I would say. But some of the stuff you were doing early days, and especially one that I know uh, you know I love in Mr. Parker, um, that was how I first came to know of Elliot Loney and his impersonations. And guys, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, we're going to have the links of all this stuff, but mate it's been a pretty crazy ride from from these videos to now turning into you know an up and coming comedian yourself um it, it's it's been crazy how have you found the process
1: oh mate that's a, that's a great first question um i'll tell you what it's it's um it's been a wild ride you know what i mean because i guess um my journey w- wasn't traditional in the sense of um you know what's what's been the norm for a lot of comedians in the past like in terms of Um, you know, you bring up the nine A's is an interesting, uh, point of view because, you know, that, that opened me up to a whole new fan base. But I, you know, initially I started with a Bear Grylls impersonation, Man vs. Metro in 2013, which then led me to do stand up the year after. And then after that, I started, I think it was about, yeah, I think 2015, I started doing those Mr. Parker videos, but, um, that got me into a whole new audience of footy, um, like-minded people who, you know, love sport and, and all can relate to that, you know, quintessential sports coach. Which is uh, Mr. Perk. so
0: um, we will we will gauge a lot into into that later on, but it is funny because as again, I was doing like thinking about it earlier, and I think looking back to social media and, and what it's become and now there's there's no traditional route in, be, in getting to where you want to be. Um, you would have been nearly up there with with one of the first people to be able to actually successfully start you know a career through comedy and social media like I don't think that anyone sort of done that prior to you is that would you would you think that's something that's what's true like was there anyone else doing what you were doing at that time
1: yeah I think back when I first started so probably like yeah about 2013 the only other person I can think of that was sort of um a pioneer in the space was Alex Williamson the Lucis Aussie bloke yeah, yeah, um yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with his work lot a lot of people have seen his stuff over the years so um, we collabed, I think, mid-2013 Just after Man vs. Metro first went viral And he was the only other person at the time But now, obviously, um, it's it's such a loaded space like, Everyone is trying to, um, you know Become a big online entertainer before anything else And back then, it was kind of like no one got around it Like no one really understood it So it's interesting to see how far it's come
0: Yeah, and, and I suppose c- c- going through that obviously doing these online um, videos and then the correlation into getting into on actual stage comedy. Like, comedy is one of those things that's... Look, I love it. Like, I absolutely love going to comedy shows. It's such an awesome sort of form of escapism, being able to watch someone and just laugh and take your mind off things. But how was that transition, like, come about? Because it's something... It's, a, you know, I think of footy, right? You, you play footy in a team, you go into a draft, you get drafted to a team and you become a professional. With comedy, like... How does that even occur? Like, obviously, you've got to establish your funny, um, for one. Then you've got to somehow, what, just put yourself out there, start gigging, and then do you just get picked up into some form of, I don't know, live stages? Like, I just don't feel like it's such a, a, a clear-cut, like, pathway. It seems like a real hustle career that you've just got to persi- um, persist.
1: Yeah, no, it's true, man. It, it's, it's such a weird, like, sort of um, industry, like... It, I mean, there's no real traditional way of going about it um, in terms of, you know, like a linear pathway. Everyone's pathway that you speak to seems to be different. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the the, the the way that you start out is you got to go to as many open mics as you can with your first five-minute, three-minute bit and basically just say that as many times as you can until you sort of find your voice. And, you know, the first few gigs you bomb, like, unconditionally. You know, it's just, you kind of got to get used to it. And it's, it's, it's quite, um, you know, um, humiliating, but it's also like you grow from that as well. Like it makes you a better person. Like when you fully tank, you know, and you tank hard in front of a lot of people, or even if it's like two or three people and you think you're funny, you know, it makes you really <laughs> like, look, look, you know, you got to look inside yourself. you got to be like internal. And you've got to really like work that out, man. And it's like the journey of every comedian. So that's sort of the, the process. And even the top tier comedians, like the best of the best, you know, they might write jokes that, um, you know, they think a killer and that even they bomb um, if they're new and they haven't trialed that material before. So there's no real like, you know, you never feel completely safe up there unless you've done the jokes, you know, a hundred or a thousand times. To know, to have the confidence in your material To know, okay, I'm going to say this And I know how the audience is going to react
0: What's that like, though, with with bombing? Because it's something that nearly You know, thinking about it now It it can be extremely harsh Like you said, you're on a stage by yourself People are there, they're expecting gags And if they don't know you um, And it's early in your career They don't know what to expect Like, have you had some of those stages Where you've just got up And they've just not gone the way you wanted to?
1: Oh, man, absolutely Like um you know uh in having said that like I I am pretty hard on myself like I've always been my own harshest critic like I have had gigs where I've done very well but I've also had my fair share of gigs who like man it like it makes me shudder to think about it like some some gigs I still think about it gives me the shakes just to like even talk about it um you know I gigged in front of Julia Gillard when she was the Prime Minister of Australia and like she was sitting like you know only just a few tables away from me and like Her like piercing gaze is like cemented in my brain. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't get rid of that. But, um, you know, when you, when you bomb in front of like 3000 people, as I did on in that particular occasion, you know, that's, um, that is character building stuff. And and I think every comedian needs that. Like you need, you need it in order to be in, you know, considered good or improve because you know, if you never bomb, you'll never learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely vouch for that. I don't think it's in comedy. I think that's just in in life. Jesus, I've uh, I've bombed a lot of times. I've bombed on the MCG in terms of kicked bombs, but I've also bombed out uh, in terms of hitting forty fives, missing them, and getting subbed off. So I, uh, I can definitely um, definitely relate to to that. Something again that with with. Um, comedy and comedians and putting yourself out there on stage and something that is my highlight and you know you get you get caught in these youtube sort of traps sometimes of just like watching comedian versus heckler um is that actually you know is that like a, a comedian's worst nightmare do you actually go into into you know shows like planning for that in case something happens have you got like comebacks ready to go have Have you experienced it like what how, how can that all all come apart
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and that's a good question, Dil, because like, you know, there's a, I feel like there's a fair misunderstanding with the general public on this particular topic, because everyone's like, oh, it'd be so scary to have someone heckle you, like, what would you do if you're on stage and someone, you know, is interrupting you, yelling out stuff. And I think the thing that to be mindful of is, is something that I, I wish I knew earlier on when I first started out is, um, you know, when you're on stage, you hold the power And most of the time, if people have paid to come and see you or they're there to see you, um, you know, they, they want to see you do well and they want to see you get through your acts. So if someone's like, you know, drunk and disorderly and saying some outrageous stuff and, you know, disrupting you, which has happened to me before, you know, sometimes you just get someone who's just out there just to, you know, they think they're being funny, but they, they can't see themselves and they're just saying some crazy stuff. You know, it's important just to realize that, you know, like anything you say in that moment, if you decide to take them on, you're always going to have the upper hand. Um, And like, you know, from my own meandering experience, when I've had a heckler and I've like decided I'm going to tear this bloke to shreds, the audience gets behind me as opposed to if you ignore it and you continue to ignore it, it just becomes a bigger problem. So like you've almost got to tackle it head on unless... You know, it becomes. I mean, I've I've known comedians who've been bottled before, and you know, obviously, in that in in those circumstances, you know, they need to be thrown out of the venue, and you have security for those reasons. But um, you know, if they if it's harmless and they're just really drunk, you know, usually the crowd will will work in your own favor. You can get the crowd to shut them up.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's what's the Australian comedy scene like, man? Like, I suppose again, it's it's hard to sort of imagine because I think. As as a comedian, you're not you're a single person, so you're like you're by yourself. It's not a team, like you don't have really anyone else to like probably work with. I don't know, maybe you do, but like when you go to gigs, is it like really competitive between comedians? Like obviously, you want to be funnier than the other guy, but like what I'm what I probably mean is like is is it a competitive scene? Like are there people in in comedy? There's obviously going to be good ones, but is there ones as well that aren't so great? 100% mate. Yeah, that's 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 another great
1: observation, Dil. I mean, like there are there are definitely guys out there that I think have the wrong mentality when it comes to like comedy as a whole. Like the way that I see it is like I see it is like we're a pretty small niche industry of people and I think like, you know, one person's success isn't necessarily going to take away from another person's success. Like everyone's success at the end of the day is good for comedy. So, um, there are people out there that I think like will talk behind other people's backs or put another comedian down for not doing well. And I'm just not about that, man. Like I hate that, you know, like Mm. I'm the first person to get around someone when they bomb or the first person to like, you know, try and help someone who's just starting out because like, I know what that's like. And I think it's important to try and, you know, foster and, and nurture that, that, um, that skill because a lot of people don't really have the courage to get out there. And, you know, we want comedy be th- to be thriving in Australia and in the world. And, um, you know, if people are creating this toxic environment where they're talking behind other people's backs and having a go at people for having a crack, I mean, I'm not about that, you know, like you have to have a crack to start and be good. And, um, yeah, it's a shame there are people out there like that in the comedy space, but most of the people that I hang out with, most of the people that I've met through comedy um, they're really good people, man. Um, they're some of the best people you'll meet, but there are a few shockers like any industry or any any sporting club. There's always a couple of shockers.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is. It's that um, it comes a part of the parcel. Mate, something else with comedy that I suppose has been made super hard these days and, um, and it's interesting to get your opinion on this because obviously you're the master at it, but political correctness is something that... Um, in a way, I I don't know, but I think like it it actually can be not ruining comedy, but it can be making it very hard to probably get um, some jokes across. Like, how have you found that in the comedy scene these days? Like, is there things that now you you can't even really joke about um, on stage? or And if you do, like, what happens? Like, is, you know, the risk of offending someone or offending, you know, a certain organisation, like, it, it must be hard to sort of Find the balance of saying something funny, but also be in the same, you know, not too offensive. Like, is that something that happens?
1: Man, this is this is something that I'm like so passionate about, and I've got to be super careful about what I say, especially in this <laughs> in this climate. But um, I think recently I've been delving into this a lot more because I've faced a lot of problems with applying for funding for my animation the prestigious nine A's, which you you obviously touched on earlier yeah and i think the thing that tipped me over the edge is when i recently went in to apply for funding the only reason they could give me for not giving me the money to make the animation for development funding was you're doing an impersonation of raphael nadal and that's racist and when i heard that i was like wow that's that's Okay. And you know, this person was saying that's problematic. That's racist, you know, go back, revisit it, sort it out. And I sort of like hung up the phone and I was just thinking about that. And I sat on that for a while. And then I started to think, I was like, man, Raphael Nadal has seen my impersonation of him. Like he, I know for a fact that he laughs at it. Like I know for a fact that he sits with his teammates and he's like members of his team, like uncle Tony and stuff. And they watch it and they laugh. So if he's not offended by it, Why would someone who works in this bureaucracy take the liberty upon themselves to deem that as offensive when the actual individual that I'm parodying doesn't find any offense in it whatsoever? And I think that's where it's lost, you know, it's lost a little bit of something for me because it's like, you know, you can't even be offensive in the pursuit of being inoffensive anymore. Uh, And I think that's, that's something that I'm really... Starting to realise, and I think it's important for a lot of comedians to understand that you know some progressiveness is a good thing, but intent is the most important thing. And if that gets lost, um, you know then it's difficult to find what the line is and how to cross it in the pursuit of being humorous. The last thing that I'll say on that is like a lot of the comedians that I look up to, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, um, you know even Stephen Fry recently has come out to talk about it. He's a very smart guy, like you know, a lot of these people, they're not in America, you know, these American comics, they're, they're no longer doing college campuses because they're the, of the fear of political correctness. And I think that's sad because, you know, they they, they don't want to perform for, for the colleges anymore because they're too scared of, of being labeled as, you know, a whole host of different things. And, um, you know, I think it was George Carlin that said, you know, comedy is, often finding what the line is and then deliberately crossing it. Now, I understand that progressiveness is obviously going to change and contend with, you know, different issues that will emerge in the future and stuff like that, but you know what I mean? Like, it 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 seems to be at absurdum when, you know, someone is just telling me, oh, you can't impersonate Rafael Nadal anymore, man. Like, that's just racist, you know what I mean? Well, okay, When when is it going to be not – like, will it be not okay for me to impersonate Bear Grylls or, you know, like – Morgan Freeman or like, you know, what's okay, what isn't? Like, it's like, you know, it, it's just becoming really confusing and convoluted and it's, it's hard being a comedian, you know? Like, all, I'm, all we're trying to do is make people laugh and, you know, I think, um, yeah, for me, it, it, it's, um, I'm, I don't know, I'm frightened. I'm frightened of what it might do to comedy in the long term.
0: It, it, is, a, it is a hard one, but, yeah, bloody hell, I don't, I don't envy um, comedians in that aspect because it is such a hard uh, industry to be able to find a a good balance of, of what you can and can't really do and, and touch on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And increasingly more so. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really difficult one to, to answer because, you know, as we, as we said earlier, you know, there are a lot of things, um, that I think are, are, are really great. Like not all political correctness is bad, but I think, you know, um, there is a line and it's difficult to define what the line is.
0: Um, we touched on Rafa just in that, and that is something we, you, you are very well known for. And also your work with the Australian Open, um, your very good mates with um, Tanasi Kokonakis and uh, Nick Kyrgios as well, who you've, uh, you've you know been able to form some really good relationships with in tennis. You were actually quite the player, I've heard, yourself. Oh, yeah, probably. Did I tell you that? Um. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you, you said, I'm not coming on unless you mention <laughs> this. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, like, like, look, man, like tennis without a doubt was my first love. And like, I often, I genuinely believe that it saved my life because, you know, from the age, I think to the age of about 10, I was a massive gimp, mate. Like I just, I didn't play any sport. Like I wasn't interested in it. You know, like I just didn't, it just didn't tickle my fancy at all. And then I remember the fir- from the first day I picked up my first tennis racket, I started quite late. I think it was about 10. And I just fell in love with the sport, man. And like from there, it sort of enabled me to to start pursuing other sports as well. And I became like really disciplined and it was the first thing that I loved and like couldn't wait to do when the when the school bell rang. You know, I just wanted to hit the tennis court and play. And then, you know, I started playing a bit of footy and like a bit of hockey and like a whole bunch of different sports, like even dabbled in a bit of cricket. And you know, all those things I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for, you know, picking up my first tennis racket. So. Um, yeah, I'm really thankful for that. And, um, yeah, I got to play at, like, a pretty good junior level. Um, I never got the elusive ATP point that would class me as a professional, but I did beat some guys who went on to play at professional level and beat a few guys with ATP points. So, um, but, yeah, I wasn't uh, anywhere near as talented as some of the guys you mentioned before, like Kokonakis or Kyrios. but obviously I keep close tabs on the sport and I'm still very passionate about it for sure.
0: Man, it's, it's a funny one, tennis, isn't it? Because it's, it's such a big game. In Australia, at the you know at the right time of year, obviously Australian Open time, it just is everyone goes out. Tennis courts are booked everywhere. Everyone wants to play. Everyone loves it. But it also has a bit of a, a like I feel a little bit of a stigma to it of just you know the, the people involved. Sometimes um, it doesn't feel like everyone's on the same page. Like it's very separate and and guys like that. And I know it'd be good to get your opinion on this because you're really good mates with. With these guys, obviously, like Kyrgios, who's obviously, dev- like, he's, he's dividing in the public, but what he's like as a bloke, and I've had the pleasure of listening to your podcast, Elliot Lonely Podcast, everyone listening on um, on uh, YouTube and on Wooshka, and where else is it? Everywhere else? Oh,
1: uh, yeah, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere, all that stuff. Thanks okay. for the well, make,
0: sure, make sure you tune into that and listen to this episode, because Kyrgios, man, I am... So- so obsessed with with him and i've always wanted to chat with him about his persona cuz he just doesn't care like i feel like he, i don't know this but i just feel like he just does not give a shit about anything but you know you know what he's doing and and he doesn't like sort of let the outside noise really really get in but what's he like as a dude what's he like as a as an actual bloke man he's such a nice
1: guy i think like you know the media misconstrued nick a lot or have misquoted him i feel in the past um like obviously there's some things that he's done that have been controversial and he'll be the first to you know take ownership of some of the things that he's done in the past but you know once once you get to know him and once he des- decides to let you into the fold so to speak um i've i've never had a an issue with him ever he's never he's never been anything but super kind and super generous to me and like a lot of the people that we've we've hung out with um and people that even I've introduced to the group, you know, like some of my mates have been like, Nick, this is so-and-so. And, you know, because he knows that I'm mates with them, he'll full get around them, you know? Like, he's just like, he's such a good guy, man. And like, it's it's a sort of a shame because I feel like it, it's, um, I've seen what he get has to deal with and like sort of the level of fame that he's attained. And like, you know, it, it must be hard for the bloke, man. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like he's just a, a good human being. Like I've seen him do some great things. And, um, you know, I'm just like, why isn't this publicized more? You know what I mean? Like yeah, what I'm seeing yeah. right now, like this, this should be what the media is talking about. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, man. And it's funny though, because I actually think that he has sort of divided, you know, people, uh, good and bad. But I think that he's, well, especially of late, because he is a superstar. I love it watching him play, like no matter what. Like it, it, I don't really... The, the, the other stuff, like, he he puts bums on seats. Like, it, you can't say when Kyrgios is watching, you, you want to watch him. Like, he's special. Like, he's so good to watch. The, the personality also as well, the unpredictability of not knowing what he's going to do. Um, I think he's a superstar, man. And as I said, we just need to embrace it um, for what he is because he's doing good things for the sport. And in a sport like tennis where it's probably not as dominated as as you know AFL or or soccer or rugby like he's you know probably inspiring that many kids to get involved
1: well you know it's interesting you saying that because you know I know that he is a polarizing guy and and you know you flag that but he yeah as you said you you can't not watch him like he's so magnanimous you just look at him on the screen you're like wow I just want to see what happens what's he going to do you don't know if he's going to go out there and break 12 rackets or go out there and play some of the best tennis you've ever seen and like you know this is coming from Non-biased, not not just because I'm made to them and I really like Nick, but I actually have come to realize and genuinely believe he might just be the most naturally ta- talented tennis player I've ever seen. Um, yeah. And you know, I've have seen him do stuff on a tennis court where I'm just kind of like that. It just defies physics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's he is a freak of nature. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. It's it's I, it doesn't surprise me that he gets so many views and people want to tune in to watch him play because he is is just box office.
0: No, it's good, man. Uh, look, massively into your career um, is comedy and it, it is stand up, but the, the other side of it as well is the impersonations, and that's like to be honest, man. Um, you know, and we got in contact about nearly a month ago now, and I knew I knew you did, like, you know, Rafael Nadal and, and a few tennis guys um, and girls and, and whatnot, but I didn't actually realise how good this was. Like, it's actually incredible. And I don't want to say it's a talent – well, it is a talent, but I don't want to say – I hate saying that it's talent because I, I can imagine it's not just talent that goes into this. Like, does how much work goes into developing – a, one of these voices because just for example i'm going to read out like there's there's a list of about 50 of them here <laughs> i won't read them all out but some of my famous uh favorites obviously bear grills morgan freeman mark Wahlberg, Hughie, um donald trump gary v who is great um obviously bruce mcavaney like man there's that many there and they're all so different like how much work goes into that bro
1: Yeah, I think some impersonations are definitely more intuitive than others. Like some voices, you know, for example, I remember the first time I saw Bear Grylls, I was sitting on the couch with my mate and, you know, I just like watched the TV and then like, I was just like, oh, you know, I'm Bear Grylls. Right. And I was like, wow, I can actually talk like Bear. Like, it's actually there. I didn't even realize, but, you know, I can speak like Bear Grylls, you know, like, Sometimes you just turn on the TV and it's just there. It's weird. But other times, you know, I have to work on a little bit. For example, Donald Trump. You just brought Donald Trump up before. Um, the first few times I did Donald wasn't great. And then after a while, I started to get,
2: you know, Donald has a little bit of raspiness in his voice, you know. That's Donald Trump, the greatest president, you know. When you can get that raspiness, you can get a little bit of Donald. And you know you got Donald when you get that raspy Trump
1: you know, there's certain nuances, certain intricacies <laughs> yeah. to each voice yeah. that only get better through practice and time. Um, but yeah. the, the my rule is if I can get it somewhat close in the first like two or three attempts, then I know that I can refine it. But if I can't get it close in the first two or three attempts, there's no point in me even trying to refine it because I've never been able to do that.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because like, you know, we are chatting off air about this, but... Things like Donald Trump and one of my favourites, like Gary Vee, like they're so different. And then there's other ones that you just – and you nail those two, but then there's other ones that you just cannot hit at all. So like it's so funny that there's like – you can absolutely nail two of them, but then there's some that just aren't like there. Like it, it's it's crazy how you can you can just be so different.
1: Yeah, it's weird, man. Like, I think in terms of, like, a lot of impersonators, I've seen like, other impersonators, most of them are overseas. There's not too many of us here in, mm. in Australia, which is kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> I might actually be the only one. Uh, <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, man. Because like you know, there's some impersonators. Like pretty much all of them can do like a Robert De Niro, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're like the staple impersonation in Sylvester Stallone. But I can't do any of those, um, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. And just about any impersonator can. Every impersonator, even like drunk blokes you made at the pub. You know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. So it's like it's funny that I can't get close to that, but I can do like you know as you said morgan freeman and then elmo which is like the two most different voices you could ever <laughs> you know so
0: which ones um which ones would be your favorite to perform and and, and your highest quality ones that you love you love bringing out
1: oh man uh, well you know obviously like a bit of dave hughes yeah hughes is outrageous because he's got the face as well yeah hughes his eyes pop out you know He's a ridiculous unit. He's got big, boggly eyes like you. You know what I mean? Like those eyes just pop out, don't they? Yeah? <laughs> Doing friends. What an outrageous show. Yeah? Uh, so, you know, obviously, Hughesy.
2: Hughesy's not that a bad one. Uh,
0: so, like I actually can't even tell the difference there at all. Like, that <laughs> is incredible. Yeah, I remember I
1: busted it out for Hughesy once. He's like, that sounds something like me. Um, it's not bad, but it doesn't sound anything like me, does it? Yeah, so <laughs> so yeah there's that but I'm um, trying to think what else um, yeah like Morgan Freeman um, you know I might need to get close to the microphone here but you know sometimes I bring my voice down like this and I'll talk like Morgan Freeman and you know I love talking like Morgan Freeman because Morgan Freeman has a truly magnanimous voice <laughs> reminds me of Shawshank Redemption and my friend Andy Dufresne Listen to the Dylan Friends Podcast, the number one <laughs> podcast in the whole of the world. There you go. So, you know, there's... It's, there's, uh,
0: it's unbelievable.
1: <clears throat> um, yeah, there's, there's like a few different ones. Um, but yeah, I think those two I really enjoyed doing. But yeah, obviously like Rafa and all the tennis ones and stuff like that and the ones that I'm probably most known for. But uh, yeah, you know, there's a big contrast. There's actually a big impression Real on YouTube, if you listeners or viewers yes. are
0: interested yes. in checking Elliot, it out. Elliot Loney uh, on YouTube, which we'll have the we'll have the link of that in the show notes as well, guys. It's unbelievable. It's it's mate, you've got a massive. Um, the beautiful thing about your your caper is it's so international. Like you've got a massive um, scope for it. You know, like it's you've got an incredible base, and your videos are doing absolutely killing it on YouTube page, which is which is awesome.
1: No, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I think it's like consistency for YouTube people. Um, you know, out there, if there's anyone out there aspiring to get amongst it on the uh, in the community, the th- one thing that I've found, and one thing i have noticed with all my peers who are doing really well on YouTube, um, is yeah, consistency, and that's probably something that I've lacked. So I'm trying to get better at that, just being mm. super consistent. You know, video or two a week is is the key to building the audience, which I'm sure you know as well.
0: Uh, no, not really. Um, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Come um, on, <laughs> 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 when when um. Mate, this is just going back a little bit. Was there a moment like early days that you realized that this was something that you were good at impersonating? Like, is this something you realized when you're at school, like, or, you know, you're a kid, were you impersonating teachers? Like, did you get yourself into trouble? Um, has it come into favor at any stage? Like, what, is there anything there that's really been a time where this has come in useful?
1: All the time, man. Uh, like, and, you know, it's definitely come in useful, but... Uh, you know, going back to what you were saying just now, like uh, as a kid, I've always sort of been able to do this and I've always been able to mi- manipulate my voice and like, you know, just kind of um, impersonate different people, whether it be celebrities or like classmates or like, you know, um, like there's a there's like an infamous story uh, within my friendship group of um, I had a mate and in year eight, he was dating this girl and uh, he was too afraid to break up whether he couldn't actually do it. So I could do a ripping impersonation of this bloke. So I actually called his miss O at the time and uh, broke up with her as him. <laughs> so he didn't have to do the he didn't have to do the <laughs> But then he then he decided he didn't want to break up with her. So he called her back and had to convince her that he wanted her back, but she didn't believe him because she was like, a, you know, a typical year eight relationship. I think they've been dating for about two and a half weeks. Yeah, but probably
0: n- hadn't spoke in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, um, and uh, you know, he was distraught. I don't think he spoke to me for about a week, but he commissioned me for the contract. Like he said, do it. You know what I mean? I think he gave me a free sandwich or something. Um, and, uh, <laughs> or a sausage roll from the yeah. tucky, you know? But um, yeah, like it, that stuff like that, you know, I've, I've been doing it for, for years, you know, just like silly things, prank calls in high school, all that kind of stuff. I was a bit of a mischief maker. I used to take the piss and, um, you know, Use, use this uh, skill set for the greater good,
0: so to speak. Mate, um, I want to put you to the test because there's two impersonations that I love and there's two of my mates that I need to send messages to. Um, we won't call them, but they will be tuning into this podcast because uh, they always do. And I hope they, they will. And they love you more mm-hmm. than they love me. But I think Daniel Gorinch is one of those people. Uh, Dan... As as we know, he's a good friend of the show. He he struggled. He played a lot of thirds footy, and what I was thinking is Mr. Parker, who is one of my favourite characters of yourself. Um, we can call up Dan and offer him a, a contract in the prestigious Nine A's, and how that yeah. would sort of go about. But firstly, before we get into that, I want to sort of set the scene, and, and there is a funny bit of a backstory and context to Mr. Parker, um, who he is, because. The reason I love this is because we've all had a coach, whether it be playing footy, netball, cricket, that is Mr. Parker. And we can relate to everything he says and how serious he takes the 9A's.
1: Absolutely. So you want, you, want me, you want me to do it now? Are we calling him right now? No,
0: I, I want you to explain who Mr. Parker is first. And then what we'll do is just, if you were going to be speaking to Goz and offering him the contract... <laughs> Okay, gotcha. I, was, I was getting worried. I was like, does he have to come? It's like the Hulk in Avengers, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? i
1: got to like get yeah. myself ready. I'm like, far out, mate. Do I take the serum now? Like, does someone have to hit me in the face? Like, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, Mr. Parker, like a lot of people have asked me, you know, like what what's the inspiration behind Mr. Parker? Surely he's this bloke or surely he's based on this bloke. But I think he's just like a, a mesh of all the different kind of psycho sports um, coaches that I've seen throughout my Adolescence, you know what I mean. Like, there's just, there's just so many nut job, you know, coaches in sport, especially school sport. And like, you know, upon reflection, when I think back to it, I was, I just kind of, because you know, as you get older, you start to realise certain things that you didn't, maybe didn't necessarily think about at all when you were a kid. And you know, it's not helped by the fact we're in isolation now. I'm thinking about some weird things in those showers in the morning. You know what I mean? And I think like I was just kind of casting my mind back and going like, Jesus, like. I copped a spray in, like, eight C's footy from that bloke. But, like, <laughs> why? Like, fucking hell, mate. Like, I'm clearly not good at football. I clearly can't kick over a jam tin. You know our shirt I shirt like, contests. I, I
0: don't even want to be here. I don't even want to be there. You know what <laughs> I mean?
1: Exactly. Like, I'd rather be sleeping in, like... Why are you so enthusiastic about it? But for him in that moment, it was like a grand final, you know, with like 150,000 people at the MCG. I was just like, I don't know, man. It's so weird that like um, they take it so seriously and like there are characters like that. And I think that's where the absurd- absurd- absurdism lies. Like it's like, you know, that's what's so funny about it. It's the prestigious nine A's. But it, like to this particular bloke, to Mr. Parker, you know, it's the most important thing in his entire world. Like,
0: that's all that matters to him. <laughs> Nothing matters apart from... The night. And he was he was a club hero himself, wasn't he? He was a, a yeah. best and fairest winner at the...
1: Uh, Gundi Jundarup Galahs, yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of a backstory there. I've written a production document for each of the characters. Um, and, uh, yeah, he never once shirked a contest, Um <laughs> Severely hampered by rapidly deteriorating knees, he he put he had pulled out one last ma- massive like you know Herculean effort. I think he he amassed like I think forty three disposals in a half running off the half back flank. You know it was it was uh, unheard of stuff. So you know he um, he's he's a ridiculous unit.
0: Um, so if, if Mister Park, I wanted Dan um, in the nine A's where I think. To be honest, I'm not even sure if Gos would get a game in the nine A's. But if he did, he's a, he's a big busting <laughs> bloke. I want you to give a Mr. Park a pitch to Dan to come down and play with the prestigious nine A's. All right, I
1: might need to stand up, Mr. Park. I don't even imagine, you probably, actually, maybe I'll just sit back there. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I did that. Basically, if Dan Gorinch was standing in front of Mr. Parker, I'd imagine it would go something like this. Oh, yeah, look at that big spaghetti noodle pole, Daniel Gorinch. Oh, yeah, I know he's been on Big Brother, but I know he loves his footy. Oh, I like the way he goes about. He's got a powerful, big physique, and he loves
2: getting his ass out on Instagram, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he does.
1: Powerful Gluteus Maximus with big deal towards powerful serratus anterior and juicy biceps. sips. Dan Curran, would you love to play for the prestigious 9 you alpaca thoroughbred psycho wrecking ball of pure malice intent? Yeah!
2: Now get in the freckle now and fuck some kids up, you big psycho. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then I
1: imagine he would say something like, you know Mate, I'm, I'm a fully grown man I, I can't, I can't get in there with a bunch of, you know 11, 12, 13 year old kids I don't give a fuck, Dan
2: Does it look like I give a shit? Get out there and fuck things up, mate <laughs>
1: What do I get for it, though, mate? Like, what do I actually get for doing this? You haven't offered me anything. I've offered you glory. I've offered you new and a prestigious fucking premiership glory. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh my god!
0: Uh, to be honest, I think um, you know, not to be to me uh, cruel on Dan, but that would probably be the highlight of his career anyway. Uh, so. <laughs> so well done. Um, <laughs> well done Look again He'll hear that And he'll want to get in touch um, Great the, the last one That I want to try With this is We've all got a mate That we love And we love him to death But As much as we love him We also just want to Beat the shit out of him And they're those You know those blokes that You love him But if they weren't your mate You'd just want to bash him Like that, that Those sort of friends And um, Tommy Sheridan is is that one of mine. Uh, One of my best mates, but I'd love to just lay one on his chin. (laughs) So basically this one, I want, if possible, to line up a Conor McGregor and and what he'd do to Tommy Sheridan in the octagon. Of course, of course.
1: Well, I'd imagine if Conor McGregor was going to size up Tommy Sheridan, he'd probably say something like this.
2: Uh, As far as I'm concerned, you know... uh, uh, Tommy Sheridan is stuck in the mud, you know. He's a fucking Lunar Park looking, uh, <laughs> fucked up looking goober, you know what I mean? Like, he is just asking to have his fucking big chompers knocked out. And I don't care where we fight, you know. I will fight him in a decahedron, I will fight him in a square, I will fight him in a fucking triangle or, or an oblong. I, I don't give a fuck, you know. As far as I'm concerned, I will knock him out any day in any arena you just named a word because you know as far as i'm concerned he is a fucking lantern not too bright and need to be carried you know and at the end of the day i'm gonna knock him out with my left hand and he's gonna hit the deck and he will not wake up and, and a lot of people will thank me because of the, the amount of shit that comes out of his mouth at least i will be able to shut him the fuck up for a little while and i can see you smiling because i know you want to shut him up because uh, he's a fucking dick and I'm going to knock some sense into his fucking tiny little school. And when he wakes up, he will not have any brain cells left, and, and that's it.
0: Oh, God, that, that one brought me a lot of joy, um, and I'd love to see that. So thank you so much. Gee whiz, he's going to love that too. Because in all honesty, Tommy couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Um, not that that's important, because we don't uh, condone fighting, but thank you, Connor, for that. Um, mate, on the more... <laughs> Jeez, I'm struggling to transition from these two topics, to be honest. But on, on the more se- and well done, um, in, in the more serious side of of comedy, and I've spoken about this a fair bit in terms of my journey, I suppose, in terms of like footy, um, and person, and you know, your professional, um, like you know, your work life versus who you are, and and separating the pers- the person versus persona, um, and. I think as a, as a comedian, that could really be up there with one of the hardest things because uh, when, you, when you see a comedian, they're always up and about. They're happy. They're you know, going off, it, off their tree and, and laughing. And, and when people would meet you in real life, they'd expect you to just be as high as energy and telling jokes as what they are. Um, how have you gone on a professional level of being able to separate you as like Elliot Loney as the comedian versus Elliot Loney as a person?
1: Man, that's a, that's a great question, Dil. Uh, and it's a, it's a really difficult one to answer because I don't think that I've actually dealt with it too well in terms of like there's been times where, you know, you I've been traveling and I've done a few gigs and stuff and I've had a few late nights and it's a really strange feeling. It's hard to like sort of summarize, you know what I mean? Because you, you're doing these gigs, you're performing in front of all these people. It's like that instant gratification. You know, you're touching them. You feel like you're having an impact, but, you know... Then you go home and like you know you don't necessarily meet these people. They're kind of faceless in a way, and like it's a strange feeling because there's a great high when you're on stage, and then when you go like there's like this empty void feeling Um, when you go home and you're just like you know sitting on the hotel bed and just like looking at the clock. You're like, well, what do I do now? It's it's a strange feeling. I can't summarise it, but it's 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 a very lonely existence. But I think. One of the coping mechanisms that's helped me is because I played so much tennis as a kid and as a, as a young bloke growing up, um, I had that individualism sort of figured out in, in a way. Like I was used to that sort of nomadic lifestyle of traveling, being in hotels, traveling solo, not really having a team around me and figuring out how to bring myself up. But, um, in having said that, it also helps having like 55, 60 alter egos that I can chat to when the when it chips it down, um, uh, just in the, uh, in the hotel room. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely really difficult, but I think the thing that helps is just, um, you know, try and be active. I've led an active lifestyle. Like usually when something like that happens, I'll just go for a run or like just try and do something to take my mind off it because, you know, you can feel the demons, man you can feel the demons like I've been in times where like I'm sitting in the hotel room after a gig and I'm just like far out like I can feel the inner golem you know like like I'm rocking Mm. back and forth I'm like fuck what's happening to me and like so I can understand why so many comedians you know do you know face depression at some point in their lives because it's 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 hard man like it's 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 a weird thing to describe and it's unless you've done comedy and unless you've you've felt that feeling it's a really difficult one to sort of explain I mean I don't think I've done a very good job explaining it myself but it's it's very hard to 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 talk about it's
0: do you um ever think much about your impact that you can have on someone like is that something that gives you massive like gratification in terms of like being a a comedian and being yourself like you you know you, you do these skits and you do these These performances where someone can be having, you know, one of the worst days of all time, they chuck on one of your videos for, you know, X amount of time and it can change their mood and it can change their outlook on things. Is that something that like you actually think about?
1: Yeah, man. To be honest with you, that's the probably the only reason why I haven't quit. Like in terms of there's been times where like the chips have been down and like I have been like, what am I doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's... You know, the, the, the thing that I struggle with the most with the comedy thing is like, you know, the money's not consistent. It's like, you know, it's hard to sort of know where your next paycheck's coming from, especially someone like myself who does a lot of corporate work through the impersonations. Um, because when it rains, it pours, but then you have like months where you're probably not doing much. So, um, you know, when the chips are down, you're not getting much work or things aren't happening. It's kind of like, what am I doing? Like, I'm better off just doing a trade or getting a desk job or just like working a nine to five, like having some stability but then when, you know, I get messages from people literally talking about some of the stuff you you've just referenced, like they'll be saying stuff like, man, I'm going through a really dark time. So and su- such and such has just happened in my life. You know, even some people message me saying stuff like on my Facebook page or Instagram, like I was thinking about ending my life, man. And like, you know, I'm genuinely. And they'll be like, mate, your videos like, you know, have like over the years when I've been in my darkest times have like helped me laugh when, you know, things weren't going well for me. And, like, when I hear that and see that, man, like, honestly, like, it almost makes me cry, bro, because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I love that stuff. I want to... It's always been what I love to do. I love making people laugh. I love making people happy. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a coping mechanism for me, but it's also a coping mechanism for so many others that I don't think that I really understood until quite recently. And then I was like, hey, I'm actually not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for people out there who actually you know it genuinely makes an impact in their life so much so that they can message me and say stuff like that um so yeah you know i've been doing this for a long time now and i can see the effect it's had on some people and for some people even just a small thing like that like a you know two minute video or one minute video of doing me doing something outrageous can make their day so you know that's that's pretty cool powerful stuff
0: Oh mate, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you know, as you said, you, you don't start these things to do that. Like if I look at the podcast now and 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 how it all all came apart, how it all came about. But um, yeah, especially like of late, um, it's really solidified my purpose in terms of yeah, I'm doing this for a, a career. And like you said, it it's not a career where you're going to be making millions of dollars, but there's been times where, like, I have not wanted to do an episode. I've just been so, so busy and just been like, man, I just can't this week. Like, I'm so flat out. Like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And then, like, I'll get a message from someone on Instagram and they're like, oh, man, you know, I had the worst week. Um, just, like, makes my day on a Tuesday when, like, you drop your podcast. And I was just like, fuck, I can't not do it now. Like, I've got to go and, like, I've got to do it because... Like, yeah, it, when it when it becomes, like, not about you and it's about, like, if you can have some impact on other people, I think that that's, like, the most special thing. And and I know I alluded to this a lot, and I know you listened to the the episode with Ben Crow, but we spoke about, you know, that sort of third stage where you can get to and when you can think about other, you know, people and having impact on them. And, man, like, look, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but, like, we're nothing special. Like, we're literally just fucking just normal blokes, like, literally just having a chat. But, you know, I I and you've had some incredible emails, but like, man, I had had an email from a mum, um, last week, and it, like, it actually rocked me, like, I just could not, like, fathom, like, that, you know, she, she, I I, I don't want to say, you know, what was in it, but like, basically just, explained that, the messages that, you know, were coming through, that she was, you know, been trying to teach, like, her family, and, and someone had passed this on to her, that, they probably needed to hear it and oh man just like you know like to think that to think that someone is actually benefiting from something that you can do is like you can't buy that like that's just like you can't you know that that's the, the probably the best feeling i've ever had like in my life
1: yeah it's powerful man isn't it and like it's interesting man like i'm sure that you know, you would have experienced it because obviously your podcast has become so successful as well. Like you touch so many people and you don't even consider it. You don't even think about it. Like it's almost like an afterthought. You put it up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to put this up. You know what I mean? And like, it it just goes to show the power of online as well and like how strong digital media is becoming and how influential it is to so many people because it's so accessible. And, um, you know, I don't want to push you, even though I'm intrigued to find out, you know, what was the content of that email, but I'm sure, you know, whatever it was, you know, it must have held a lot of weight and it must have made you think, like surely you would have gone, wow, like maybe you hadn't factored that in before mm. and that's kind of similar to what, what happened with me With when I get messages like that. I kind of go, wow, you don't even think about that kind of stuff. It's like a complete afterthought.
0: No, you don't and I think it's funny because like um, even after that I thought, oh, I've got to do more of that and then I thought, no, 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 like you don't have to, like what, you know, you're doing right now is, that's what you're doing and that's what you like what I am doing like what I'm doing I'm doing because I I love it like you don't have to change what you're doing I think that's why people respect things the most is because you're just doing what you do you're not trying to please someone else but in some way someone can relate to it and learn from it and that's why I love you know talking to people like yourself man that have like incredible drive and it hasn't always been easy um to to get to where they want to be but like I know for a fact that y- you're going to get there because you've got you've got the drive you've got the talent but um I think as you said man you've got the life lessons and and you're not doing it I think when you do something for not money like the money will come eventually but like the impact is is the real thing that actually is is keeps you like keeps you going with it I think um long term for sure but even on this man like what would what would be some of those like you know life lessons? Is a is a strong word, and we're two just as I said, everyday blokes. I um, fucking realistically, in the scheme of life, I've done absolutely nothing. But I love having conversations and learning from mistakes. Like, what would be some of your life lessons that you've you've learned along the journey? I think yeah, like
1: it's important to have like um, humility and perspective. I think on a lot of things, you know what I mean. Like, I think that's one of the great things that comedy can teach you it's like, um, you know, it help. it almost helps keep your ego in check, especially if you're writing a lot of new material and going to bars and, you know, bombing and trying new stuff, because it it makes you realize like, you know, it's not, not bad to fail, but it's also essential. And like, you know, it's, it's part of growth and it's part of like who you are. So I think like not being afraid to try new things, um, fear, you know, holds so many people back. And I think there's so many people watching and listening to this who like, probably have something that they've always wanted to do, but have been too scared to do it. You've just got to back yourself okay. and just know that like, it's, it's a process type kind of thing. And it's like, you know, you, you don't have to be good to start, but you have to start to be good. Oh, it's like, you, you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to go out there and, and do it. Mm. So I think, just having a crack is, is something that I've learned to be one of the most important things that you could do because fear holds, like, everyone back, I think, or a lot of people back.
0: hundred percent, man. I think, um, oh, look, I always stuff these quotes up, but I was listening to something Jim Carrey said, uh, you know, on a video. I don't know Jim Carrey personally. Um, <laughs> I, like, this was just in, in, in an interview. And he said that, like, in his career, his dad um, was, like, really funny and he was a comedian. And he said something like, you know, his dad always, um, he didn't didn't do comedy because he wanted, he, he was too scared to fail at it. So he became an accountant and then basically, you know, had this long career and then got sacked and went bankrupt or something like that. And Jim Carrey goes, he's like, well, why would you fail at something you don't want to do when you can fail at something you do want to do and at least have a crack at it like in the first time? So true. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck, that's so true, man. Like. You can fail at anything, but like, why wouldn't you just try and fail at the one thing you're going to do? Because the odds are, man, if you do it with conviction, you're probably not going to fail and if you want to do it.
1: 100%, man. And like, even if you do, you'll feel better for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if you do it, at least you can go, all right, I gave that a crack and I gave it everything that I could. And you know, like, I think you regret the things you don't do rather than the things that you at least try to do. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. Like, you've got to go out there and, and just like have a crack because then even if no one else gives you the recognition or, or things that you were initially after, you'll be proud of yourself.
0: Love it. Love that. Um, mate, what's what's next for, for Elliot Loney? Like, you know, obviously, big things on the horizon, man. Like, you've got some big plans. Um, you alluded to before, but I think it'd be worth touching on a little bit more the, the animated series that I really want you to, to get going with because that is going to be a massive, um, a massive win. Um, maybe a bit of context on that would be, would be cool. And then obviously you've got your podcast as well, the Elliot Lonely podcast, which, which we spoke about, um, as soon as COVID's done, there's going to be more, um, comedy shows and gigs that we're actually going to be allowed to go out and watch. But what's, what's next for you, man? What's goals? Where do you want to get to?
1: I think I re- I've realized more recently now that like, although I do like doing stand up, and I think it's going to be something that I'll continue to pursue and, and try to better myself at and hone my craft. Cause it's just something I'm interested in. um, I think in a perfect world, like I want to sort of align myself with, you know, the likes of Seth MacFarlane um, and uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, you know, the guys that created these vehicles that enabled them to like drive their success kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, So like rather than be the Elliot Loney, which would be great, don't get me wrong, like I'd rather have something that i've put my heart and soul into something really str- like really well written well put together that i can then you know ride as like a you know i guess like use that to spearhead my own success yeah. kind of thing like i'd be yeah. more i'd be more happy being known as oh that's the guy that made the prestigious 9a's than oh that's elliot loney you know what i mean yeah like yeah. i want to yeah. i want to create something that you know can be enjoyed for generations. And I know that's like a big goal and like, it's like, it sounds ridiculous. And even I sound a bit, I I feel a bit ridiculous saying it, but like, I, I think that's the best use of my like unique skill set. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know many people who can do all these voices and do all these characters and stuff like that. So it like having an animation where I can like explore that and like play with that and, and use what I, what I know I can do. Seems to me like the best use of my time and the and the most likely chance of my success.
0: Oh, mate, 100%. And I I know you don't believe it. Um, I know you are being humble there and you don't believe what you're saying, where it sounds silly because I think you've got to believe it if you want it to happen, which it will. Um, but, man, I can see that happening. And, and just, again, I'm breaking these down into the tiniest parts here. But when you say animated series, it's basically – Like a cartoon animated series, sort of shows. Like when you say Seth MacFarlane, like a Family Guy of these sort of things, you want to make an Australian version of that based on sports.
1: Yeah, I want to sort of make it around sport, and it's interesting because recently someone um, actually—I think that they were making a joke, but they sent. I've been having. I got a few messages recently on Instagram of people sending me that new show Hoops. I think it is on Netflix with like a basketball coach around sport like you know people being like lawsuit question mark and i'm like what <laughs> like no but like you know there are already other sports animations out there but I, my goal was initially to be the first sort of animated sports mm. cartoon yeah similar to yep. S- south park or family guy but sports is the main theme um yeah and i still think that that's possible um but i think in order to have long-term success, something that I've discovered through my journey pursuing this is I'm going to have to make it more than just AFL if I want international yeah. appeal. Yeah. Because as much as I love AFL and I think it'd be great to have an AFL animation. And I think it's, you know, pivotal, pivotal for the show's success, especially here in Australia. That's, I want to make the first season AFL. Um, I think long-term, if I want to get the money that I need to actually make this thing a reality, I need to go to the U S and do NFL Basketball, you know, maybe Canada hockey, you know all those sports that are big around the world, soccer to try and get that international um, sort of appeal, so that's my North star, so to speak, um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens the The, the most difficult thing is the money because bloody hell, animation's expensive, mate. It's mm. a joke.
0: <laughs> well, if we do have any cartoonists or animation uh, experts out there that do want to get involved, um, make sure you reach out to, to Elliot because that will be exciting and be a part of something special.
1: Absolutely, mate. If there's any animators watching this right now or um, listening, please get in touch.
0: Uh, I need you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, uh, look, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show, bro. Um, it's been cool to, to find, obviously, the, the funny side, but then, obviously, I've learned a lot today about, um, about you know, your career and your pathway. And, and I just love learning from, like, setbacks um, and how, you know, you overcome things as well, bro. So thanks so much for being so honest. Thanks for sharing. Um, can't wait to see this new series come to light because I know it will. And um, can't wait for the premiere.
1: Nah, thanks, mate. Appreciate it and... Uh Love the podcast and uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on.